occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin, for I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Now thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I had not laid down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that it might come, and I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, I suppose this morning in coming to church, all of us became aware that winter is soon upon us, snow, things a bit icy, but I do hope that those of us who are here in God's house at this time are glad that we're here and that we do feel at home. Today, as you know, is the 25th Sunday after Trinity. If you looked at your church calendar, there is one more Sunday after Trinity, and that's next Sunday, which means that next Sunday we bring this present church year to a close. Two weeks from today is the first Sunday in Advent, when we begin a new church year and we turn our thoughts to Christmas. And as we are bringing to an end another church year, it's only natural for us as Christians to turn our mind to thoughts about the end of the world and about the last day. And this text that I just read to you is very appropriate for this season of the church year. It's the parable, we call it the parable of the pounds or the parable of the coins. You no doubt have read it in the scriptures. We may say, uh, what is Jesus telling us in this parable? Well, Christ was up in Jericho at the time when he told this. He was on the way to Jerusalem for the last time. This was just the week before his death on Calvary. And he brought the disciples together and he told them, he said, there was a certain nobleman who went into a far country and he said he would return. But before he went, he called his ten servants to him and he gave to each one a pound or a coin. They all got the same thing. And then he told them, now you occupy, you trade with this till I return, till I come back. We may say this morning, what is Christ saying to you and to me with regard to this parable of the pounds or the parable of the coin? He's saying this to you and me, reminding us that he is the nobleman, 
that he is the one who has gone to a far country. He has returned to heaven, and he has there taken his kingdom. And he reminds you and me that he's coming back. And he has given to all of us as his followers a coin or a pound. We've all got the same thing. And we may say, what do we as Christians all have in common? That coin, that pound, is his word. It's the word of God. That you and I have, and we all have the same word. And therefore, he says to you and me this morning, I'm coming back. And this is what I would like to have you do upon my coming back. And in this time, will you occupy till I come? Will you take this pound, this coin that I have given you, Christian? You are my follower. Will you take it and will you use it? Will you trade with it until I return? In other words, he says, will you witness with my word? Will you tell it to somebody else? Will you go and tell my story to someone else until I come back? Will you witness? Will you tell it? Will you teach it? Will you share it? Will you invest it? Will you spend your time while I am gone until I come back in witnessing with my word for me? You and I may say, rather hard to believe that he calls to you and to me this morning to obey this call and this summons, occupy till I come. Will you please obey me? And will you go out and trade with my word? Will you tell the story about me, about my life and my salvation that I give? Will you make this one of the chief things in your life until I come back? And you and I may say, well, why should I, really? We may say, I'm saved, I've repented of my sins, and I put my faith in Christ. I have salvation. Why in the world should I, waiting for his coming, why should I occupy, and why should I go out and tell the story about Christ? Why should I go out and share and invest his word and do something with his word until he comes back when I am already saved? Uh, when he comes, will he reward me? Will there be any special reward, any special blessings? Will he remember if I do it? And we may say to ourselves this morning, after all, it's a big job, it's a hard job, it's rather embarrassing at times to go out and witness with the word and to go out and tell the story. Will he have any rewards on that day if you and I do? And in this parable, he would remind you, won't you please obey me? And won't you occupy till I come? Won't you go out and tell the story of life and salvation in me? Will you go out and witness with my word for me? And then he says, and I promise you that when I come on that last day, I'll reward you. I will bring you special blessings. I know you're saved, but I will give you something in addition. I will give you great blessing, great glory, great joy. And you and I may say this morning, you mean to tell me there will be rewards on the last day if you and I trade with his word until he comes? That's what he promises you and me. For in the first place, he reminds you and me ahead of time that there will be rank in heaven. When we say, what's heaven going to be like when he comes back? What is this new heaven and this new earth that he's going to create? What's it going to be like? He reminds you and me there's going to be rank in heaven. There will be stations. There will be elevations. There will be status. And you and I may say, will there really? Look at this parable. When he called his servants, when he came back from that far country, the one said, Lord, 
Here, your pound gained ten pounds. And he said, wonderful, good servant. You've been faithful in a little. I'll make you ruler over ten cities. And the next one came. He said, your pound got five. I'll make you ruler over five cities. There are some in the new heavens and the new earth who are going to reign over ten cities. And there are some who are going to reign over five cities. There will be rank. There will be station. There will be elevations. There will be status in heaven. You and I know that on the basis of Scripture. Remember the time when Salome brought her two sons, James and John, to Jesus, and she said, I've got a request. And he said, what is it? He says, promise me that when you come in your kingdom that one of my sons will sit on your right hand and the other on your left hand by your throne. And Jesus didn't say, again, those places don't exist, but he said, that's not for me to give. My father will do it. But somebody's going to sit on his right side and somebody's going to sit on his left side. There is rank. There will be stations. There will be status. There will be special honors in heaven. And therefore, when you and I say, Christ, you mean to say that while I await your coming, that you want me to go out and witness and you want me to go out and tell the story, and that there will be, besides the fact that I am saved, that there will be special honors and special rewards? Jesus says, yes. In proportion to your faithfulness, I will give you rank and honor. I will give you authority, some over ten cities and some over five cities in the new heavens and the new earth. And you may say, what joy is the joy of rank and honor standing there in the eternal sunshine of the appreciation and the gratitude of the Son of God. Can you stop for a moment and fathom what that might be? Is there anything in life that means more to you and me than somebody to say thank you? Is there ever a time in your life and mine when we feel happier and grander than when somebody says thank you? Can you imagine what heaven will be like if you and I occupy till he comes to be given rank and status and position and to be able to look therefore and have the eternal gratitude of God the Son and to see him smiling, well done. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think of a minister friend of mine who later became the president of the Ohio District who said to me one day this. He said, I wonder what it would be like to stand at the door on Sunday and to have people say thank you. Oh, he wasn't fishing for compliments. It wasn't a lack, again, of his own ability. But, oh, if somebody would just say thank you. But he said, if I mispronounce a word, oh, he says, I've got college professors and college students, and they remind me with glee if I had mispronounced a word. But, oh, he said, to stand there and just to have somebody say thank you. Was there ever a moment in your life when you were happier when somebody said thank you? Or was there ever a time in your life when there was deep when they didn't? Remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers and only one came back and he was broken hearted. Jesus says, will you please, will you occupy till I come? Will you go out and witness and tell the story? And you say, well, I remember you. Oh, I'll remember you and I'll bring you special honor and I'll bring you special distinction. Oh, all of grace, not that you and I earn it. But I will give you rank and I'll give you authority and you can stand there with that honor and you can bask in the sunshine of my eternal gratitude. He said, you've been faithful in a little thing. 
Oh, you remember the story about the man who was looking for a doctor and he went by the church and he saw a bulletin board and the man's name was pastor happened to be a doctor. So he knocked at the door and he said, are you a doctor? And the man said, yes, I am a doctor, but I'm a doctor of souls. He said, well, I want the kind that can do me some good. You can't do me any good. Again, this is a small thing. Will there be any rewards in heaven? Oh, yes, there will. In relationship to your faithfulness and mine, to stand in rank and distinction and honor in the new heavens and the earth and to be able to look to the Son of God and his eternal approval and thankfulness. Can you dream and imagine what that can be like? And that's why when he says to you and me this morning, so will you occupy till I come back? Will you obey me and I promise I'll not forget you? There will be rewards and there will be special honors and special distinctions. Then we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to occupy. I'm going to take this pound. I'm going to take this word that he gave me. And I'm going to share. Then we ought to convince ourselves of this, that the reason why he hasn't come back is not because he isn't able. You notice she said, I'm going to a far country. In other words, I'm not going to be back right away. The disciples thought that it was all going to come just right then and there. We may say to ourselves, as we look in this world, we say, is he coming back? Is he able to come back? Is it just something that he's told us? How can he return? He who has the kingdom said, I'm coming back. The reason for his delay is not that he's not able to come. He is no doubt the son of God himself. But the reason he's waiting is because he said, will you occupy? Will you go out and witness through my word? Will you go out and tell the story? Will you go out and tell the story about me? He wants to see how many can be saved. When you and I realize that this seeming delay is that we who are his followers can take this pound, that we can take again this coin, and we can go out and occupy and trade with it and invest it and use it. Then he says, I'll come. And he'll bring an end to the things that bother us. And we look out in our world today and we say things are getting steadily worse. And we cry out and we say, what's the end? Well, it is, isn't it? Even getting into the homes. We talk about blood running thicker than water. And yet you and I are experiencing that the hatred of Christ is even thicker than the blood. When children can stand before their parents and say, I'd like to kill you. As I know some parents who have been told that by children. Let me tell you things are getting pretty bad. When there is hatred of Jesus Christ, that a son or a daughter could kill father and mother and like it, something's wrong. And what's the answer? Jesus says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back and I'll not forget you. You and I say, you mean to tell me there are rewards? Oh, you bet there are rewards. This is the parable that would assure you. And Jesus says, as he talks to you and me at the end of another church. He said, will you occupy till I come? Go out, will you, and go and tell my story. I've given you the coin. Go out and tell it, and I promise you it's going to be worth your while. You think I'd forget it? You think that I'm the kind that would not reward you for faithfulness? Oh, I, I'm going to come back, and I've got some tremendous things. And I say, what? Well, what are you going to give me at that day? You may say, I'm saved. Sure, you and I are saved. But he says, and he would remind us in the second place, when he comes back again, he wants us to know ahead of time, not only is there rank, not only is there elevation, not only is there distinction in the new heavens and the new earth in heaven, but it reminds you and me that there is also a difference. There are different degrees of spiritual capacity in heaven. Capacities, spiritual capacities 
will vary in heaven too. You may say, how so? You notice in the parable, the one that didn't do anything when Jesus says, take the coin away from him, take the word away from him and give it to the man that has ten. And then some says, he's already got ten. Now he's got eleven. He, what a capacity. What a capacity. Capacities vary in this life, don't they? You and I talk about an Albert Einstein and we talk about a mental capacity. We say, what a mental giant with his theory of relativity. We talk about Thomas Edison, what a mental genius and capacity in Edison had. We talk about a Werner von Braun as regards the rocket age and the outer space age. What a mind that man must have. When we look at ourselves, how about spiritual capacities? How about the spiritual capacity of the malefactor on the cross in comparison to St. Paul? I think you and I would say the malefactor on the cross didn't have the spiritual capacity that St. Paul had. We say, how, how do we enlarge these spiritual capacities? We talk about IQs, don't we? We've got IQs. What about your spiritual IQ and mine? Could you tell the story of Jesus to somebody who didn't know it? Do you know the plan of salvation? Could you really tell it? Do you know enough about it that you could tell this is the way to heaven God's Son came into this world, born of the Virgin Mary, a human being. And he who was God's Son and also two men went to Calvary's cross. And he took the guilt and the punishment of the world on himself. And in that death on Calvary, that he bore hell and damnation for the human race. Do you know the story? Did you ever tell it to somebody? Do you know how to tell it? Do you understand it? Do you have a spiritual capacity to know what it's all about? And have you told that there in that sacrifice that he merited a 100% right righteousness for the world? What kind of a spiritual capacity do you and I have? And Christ would remind you and me that there will be differences in spiritual capacities in heaven, just as there are here on earth. As you and I go out and when we witness, that's when this spiritual capacity begins to grow. When we start telling others about Christ, then we grow, we turn to the Word of God, and we study it, and we arm ourselves, and we turn eternally to it to be able to make it clear. And spiritual capacity. And what's the joy? He says, when I come back, if you will go out and you will share with others, and you will go out and invest that coin, he says, I will give you this, not only rank and status, but I will give you this glorious reward that happiness in heaven will be to the fullest extent of your capacity and always to the fullest extent. Do you understand what, Chris, what the Word of God means when the Word of God tells us in Christ's word, that there will be fullness of joy. Have you ever seen the day in your life when you were filled with joy? I mean to the extent of your spiritual capacity to enjoy. When is a man filled with joy? Did you ever see the day? My mother used to tell me when I used to laugh and something would make me so tickled and happy. And she'd say, remember, if you laugh in the morning, you're going to cry before the night. Maybe your mom told you that too. In other words, when you are the happiest, don't forget that you're going to cry, you're going to shed some tears. In the happiest moment in your life and mine, was it fullness of capacity? I suppose you and I would say, perhaps the time in my life when my capacity for joy seems to reach that place of fullness is when I look forward to Christmas and when it comes. And I know it means a great deal to you means a lot to me. And we hold on to it, don't we? We say, oh God, don't let it pass. We, we want to hold it right there, don't we? But 
How many times have you been happy in life? Did you ever ask yourself that? Are you happy today? What do you mean happiness? comes from the word hap, hap means circumstances. When in your life and mine are all the circumstances just the way you would want them? I heard one man on television when he was being interviewed, when he was asked, how many happy days have you had in life? And he says, about three. How many happy days have you and I had? We talk about happiness. What is the joy Christ says? There are very few times in life when you and I are happy with circumstances. It goes like this, doesn't it? But Christ says, if you will go out, and you will occupy till I come, when I come back, when you've enlarged your capacity, I promise you this in heaven, yes, you're saved. I promise you that the joy of heaven will be to the fullness of your capacity, to the very nth degree, and always, not one second less. Then full capacity. And I stand with our mouths open, don't we? That's fullness of joy. You mean to tell me he'd forget? Oh, these are rewards of grace. You and I don't earn them. But don't you ever think that he isn't going to remember when his followers go out and occupy till he comes. Do you think he would ask you and me to do it? There would be no special rewards of grace, no special glory, no special joy. What must fullness of joy eternally be like. But he says, that's what I'll give you. To the extent of your capacity, oh, I won't know your capacity and you won't know mine. But Jesus says, whatever your capacity, and this is where you and I determine it right here on earth, whatever it is, Jesus said, if you go out and you will share, and you will tell the story, I promise you this, that in heaven, your capacity will be filled with joy to the extent that your soul can have it and continuously never for a millionth of a second less than that. This is fullness of joy. What must it be like? And we ought to say to ourselves, then, God, I'm going to obey it. And if I'm going to obey it, then I ought to say, here's the 20th century. If there's ever an opportunity, if there's ever a chance in your life and mine, if there is ever a time when you and I ought to say, I'm going to occupy, you're coming back. It's now. We've got radio. If there's ever a time to tell the story, it's now. We've got television. We have means of communication uh, that centuries ago they never dreamed of. I remember the night that Ruth and I flew into Amsterdam, Holland, when we were over in Europe. The man that met us at the airport, he said, Do you realize that off of Hell's Star tonight we sat in the hotel and on our television we saw President John Kennedy and he spoke to us and it was as clear as if he were in the room. And the man went into ecstasy. Think of it off of Telstar. You're president of the United States on a television live in Amsterdam in Holland. If there's ever been a time when Jesus says, I'm coming back, will you make use of your opportunities? Then when you and I do, we can say to ourselves, in his sight, we are the most important people on earth. Who are the most important people? Christ. Christians who are out to occupy until he comes. Why? Because he says, I'm coming back. And before I come back, will you go out and will you tell my story? Who are the important people? He says, oh, you've been faithful in a little thing. See, the world thinks this is the most nonsensical thing in the world. Such a small and trite and just simply an inconceivably small thing to go out. And he says, will you go out and tell my story? We are the most important people. What is your job and mine but a means to an end, isn't it? 
You notice every Christian got a pound? It wasn't just only the disciples. You got one and I've got one. And therefore, he says, go out. What is your job if you're the mayor of Marion? It's a means to an end. That as you stand as the mayor of the city, that it's a means to an end that you can tell the story of Jesus. If you're the judge of the common pleas corridor of the probate corridor of the city court, it's a means to an end that you can use that position as the means to going out and occupying. If you're an attorney, if you're a doctor, if you're on the assembly line out at the power shovel or out again wherever you may be working in town, Whirlpool or Tecumseh, it's a means to an end. Jesus says, will you please, will you occupy till I come? Are you going to reward me, Lord? Will there be something awaiting me? I'm saying Jesus says yes, but he also reminds you and me that if we disobey on that day, he will take the coin, the pound, away from us with its salvation that it is brought. There was a, another servant that came, wasn't there? And the master, the king said, what did you do with yours? And he said, oh, I, he said, I, I was afraid of you. He said, you're a tight-fisted individual. You like to gather when you haven't got any money in the bank and you like to reap what you haven't sold. And I scared to death of you. And so I, I just did it here in this napkin and this. I didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. Again, what happened? So they took the coin away from him. He that, again, hath not shall be taken away from him what little he does have. You and I may say, I'm saved, but when I say no to him, and I say, I, I'm not going to go out, and I'm not going to tell that story. I'm not going to go out and witness. I'm not going to go out and share. I'm not going to go out and teach it. I'm not going to go out and invest it. And Jesus says, you're not going to do anything for me. He said to that man, at least you could have put it at the bank. You could have done something. I wonder if on that day, Jesus comes to you and me, is he going to have to say, nothing but leaves? You know, one day he looked at the fig tree. He had beautiful leaves. He pushed the leaves back, but he's looking for figs. Could it be that in your Christian life, my son, I'm saying, look beautiful. Got a lot of leaves. You can push it back. Where's the fruit? What did he say to you and me someday? What did you ever do for me in my kingdom? Will he say to you and me, if I had every follower like you, I wouldn't even have a kingdom. At least you could have done something. You could have at least put it in the bank. When Moses, you know, held his arms up one day in prayer while the Israelites were fighting the enemy, and he was praying they would win. When he left his arms down, the enemy would win. Well, here was Aaron and here was her. They couldn't pray like Moses. And when they saw what was happening, we can do something. And there Aaron got a hold of one arm and her the other, and they held him up. It did something. Yes, we won. Nothing. Did you even go to church? Did you ever give anything for my king? You mean not even a penny? You mean you can't afford a nickel in three years? You mean in forward and faith there's nothing? If I had every follower like you, I wouldn't have it. Anyone who gets angry? Nothing. This is the sin of omission. Oh, you may say, but Lord, I didn't commit adultery, and I didn't go out and steal, and I didn't hold up the bank. Jesus says, what did you do for me? Take it away from him. Take it away. And then again, when he takes the citizens who didn't want him, the unbelievers, they are slain, they are cast into hell. What happens 
to the Christian who didn't do anything, who didn't witness, who just didn't, didn't even hold up any hands, who didn't even think enough about him to go to church, who did nothing as far as he's concerned, the kingdom of God would have died. Means hell. Means hell. Strangely in hell there will be different degrees of punishment. The man that didn't know will be beaten with few stripes, and the man that knew better will be beaten with many. You say, Jesus, will you go out, will you occupy? I'm coming back. And if you and I would believe that, we'd say to ourselves, this ought to be, you know, you, we ought to say, there's one thing in life that isn't going to happen to me. I'm not going to die until I have won somebody for Jesus Christ. May I ask you, Faith, did you ever bring somebody to Jesus Christ? Did you ever experience that joy? Did you ever go out and share? Did you ever tell, talk about Jesus to somebody who didn't know him? Did you ever have that? Do you remember one day the Baptist was preaching at the River Jordan and Jesus walked by and the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God will take away the sin of the world. The Baptist had some followers and there was a man there by the name of Andrew. Andrew was Bar Jones. His name was Andrew Johnson. There was another one there. His name was John. His father's name was Zebedee. It was Johnny Zebedee. And the Baptist said in the hearing of Andy and John, there's the Lamb of God. You know, they followed him. As they caught up with him, they said, Master, where do you live? Jesus says, come and see. And uh, Andy Johnson and this Johnny Zebedee, they spent the day with him. Then they came back, and what happened? Andy had a brother by the name of Simon. He went right to Simon. He had something to share. had something to tell him. I, I found the Messiah. And Simon Johnson said, you have. And so he said, come on. And so uh, Andy brings Simon, and they meet the Lord. And when the Lord meets him, he said, I'm going to give you a new name, Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you Rock Johnson. You're going to be Pete Johnson. And of course, while John was too modest to tell us in his gospel, he no doubt went and got his brother Jimmy. And he brought Jimmy to the Lord. And what joy. I wonder how much joy Andrew is going to have in heaven when Brother Peter, who became great in the kingdom of God, is going to say to him in gratitude, but Andy, I've got you to thank. You brought me to Jesus Christ. You introduced me. You talk about joy, and we talk about glory when he comes again. The, joy, the glory of being saved, yes. The glory of knowing this, the eternal gratitude of God the Son and the rank that he gives us the eternal fullness of joy and the appreciation of someone who will say thanks, I'm here because you introduced me to Christ. Have you ever had that joy with an adult class? Did you ever bring somebody? You know, that's one of the thrills in my life as a minister in the adult class, to have people come up and say, people that you brought, you did something, come up and say, thanks for introducing me to Christ. I didn't know him. I didn't know the way to heaven. Thank you. Can you imagine the eternal joy of somebody saying, thank you? Is it anyone in the book of Daniel we are told, and they that turn many to righteousness, who have gone out and witnessed and told the story, they shall shine as the stars forever and ever. Oh, listen, as the church here comes to an end, and Jesus says, won't you please occupy till I come again? Oh, we ought to be able to walk the glory road and say yes. You see, I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory. 
of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longing as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Now then the tremendous surprise, reward of grace, yes, undeserved. But Jesus says, I'll reward you. I'll not forget you. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.